0: chapter five part two of the conquest of new france by george wrong this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five part two we find him in montreal in seventeen forty involved in what he had always held in horror a lawsuit brought against him by some impatient creditor the report had gone abroad that he was amassing great wealth when as he said all that he had accumulated was a debt of forty thousand livres in the autumn of seventeen forty one he was back at fort La Raine, where he welcomed his son pierre from a fruitless journey to the mandans the most famous of all the efforts of the family was now on foot on april twenty ninth seventeen forty two a new expedition started from fort lorraine led by la vrendrye's two sons pierre and francois they knew the nature of the task before them its perils as well as its hopes they took with them no imposing company as their father had done but only two men the party of four too feeble to fight their way had to trust to the peaceful disposition of the natives when they started the prairie was turning from brown to green and the rivers were still swollen from the spring thaw in three weeks they reached a mandan village on the upper missouri and were well received it was after midsummer when they set out again and pressed on westward with a trend to the south the country was bare and desolate for twenty days they saw no human being they had mandan guides who promised to take them to the next tribe the handsome men bozum as the brothers called them a tribe much feared by the mandans the travelers were now mounted for the horse brought first to america by the spaniards had run wild on the western plains where the european himself had not yet penetrated and had become an indispensable aid to certain of the native tribes deer and buffalo were in abundance and they had no lack of food when they reached the tribe of bozum the mandan guides fled homeward summer passed into bleak autumn with chill winds and long nights by the end of october they were among the horse indians who they had been told could guide them to the sea these however now said that only the bo indians farther on could do this winter was near when they were among these indians probably a tribe of the sioux whom they found excitedly preparing for a raid on their neighbors farther west the snakes they were going they said towards the mountains and there the frenchmen could look out on the great sea so the story goes on the brothers advanced ever westward and the land became more rugged for they were now climbing upward from the prairie country at last on january one seventeen forty three they saw what both cheered and discouraged them in the distance were mountains about them was the prairie with game in abundance it was a great host with which the brothers traveled for there were two thousand warriors with their families who made night vocal with songs and yells on the twelfth of january nearly two weeks later with an advanced party of warriors the La Valendrias reached the foot of the mountains well wooded with timber of every kind very high was it the rocky mountains which they saw had they reached that last mighty barrier of snow-capped peaks rugged valleys and torrential streams beyond which lay the sea that they had done so was long assumed and many conjectures have been offered as to the point in the rockies near which they made their last camp their further progress was checked by an unexpected crisis one day they came upon an encampment of the dreaded snake indians which had been abandoned in great haste this the bow indians thought could only mean that the snakes had hurriedly left their camp in order to slip in behind the advance guard of the bows and massacre the women and children left in the rear panic seized the bows and they turned homeward in wild confusion their chief could not restrain them i was very much disappointed writes one of the brothers that i could not climb the mountains those mountains from which he had been told that he might view the western sea there was nothing for it but to turn back through snowdrifts over the bleak prairie the progress was slow for the snow was sometimes two feet deep on the first of march the brothers parted with their bow friends at their village and then headed for home by the twentieth they were encamped with a friendly tribe on the banks of the missouri Here to assert that louis the fifteenth was lord of all that country they built on an eminence a pyramid of stones and in it they buried a tablet of lead with an inscription which recorded the name of louis the fifteenth their king and of the marquis de beauharnois governor of canada and the date of the visit truth is sometimes stranger than fiction one hundred and seventy years later on february sixteenth nineteen thirteen a schoolgirl strolling with some companions on a sunday afternoon near the high school in the town of pierre south dakota stumbled upon a projecting corner of this tablet which was in an excellent state of preservation thus we know exactly where the brothers la varondria were on april two seventeen forty three when they bade farewell to their indian friends and set out on horseback for fort la Raine spring had turned to summer before the brothers reached their destination on july two seventeen forty three they relieved the anxiety of their waiting father after an absence of fifteen months moving slowly as they did could they have traveled from the distant rockies from the time in january when they turned back it seems doubtful and in spite of the long cherished belief that the brothers reached the foothills of the rocky mountains it may be that they had not penetrated beyond the barrier which we know as the black hills the chance discovery of a forgotten plate by school children may in truth prove that as late as in seventeen fifty the rocky mountains had not yet been seen by white men and that the first vision of that mighty range was obtained much farther north in canada after seventeen forty three the french seem to have made no further efforts to reach the western sea by way of the missouri if in reality the brothers had not gone beyond the black hills in south dakota then their most important work appears to have been done within what is now canada as discoverers of the saskatchewan the mighty river which carries to far distant hudson bay the waters melted on the eastern slopes of the rocky mountains it was by this route up the saskatchewan that fifty years later was solved the tough and haunting problem of going over the mountains to the pacific ocean la barondria now ascended the saskatchewan for some three hundred miles to the forks where it divides into two great branches he was going deeper into debt, but he hoped always for help from the king it is pathetic to see to-day on the map of that part of western canada which he and his sons explored a town a lake and a county called dauphin in honor of the heir to the throne of france no doubt la Varendria had the thought that some day he might plead with the dauphin when he had become king for help in his great task before the year seventeen forty nine had ended la Varandria, who had returned to montreal was in his grave his sons partners in his work expected to be charged with the task to which the king in seventeen forty nine had anew appointed their father of continuing the work of discovery in the west Francois for a time ill wrote in seventeen fifty from montreal to la jonquire the governor at quebec that he hoped to take up the plans of his father the governor's reply was that he had appointed another officer le jardure de st pierre to lead in the search for the western sea Francois hurried to quebec the governor met him with a bland face and seemed friendly Francois urged that he and his brothers claimed no preeminence, and that they were ready to serve under the orders of st pierre the governor was hesitant but at last told Francois frankly that the new leader desired no help either from him or from his brothers Francois was dismayed he and his brothers were in debt already he had sent on stores and men to the west and the men were likely to starve if not followed by provisions his chief property was in the west in the form of goods which would be plundered without his guardianship to tide over the immediate future he sold the one small piece of land in montreal which he had inherited from his father and threw this slight sop to his urgent creditors st pierre strong in his right of monopoly insisted that the brothers should not even return to the west francois urged that to go was a matter of life and death in some way he secured leave to set out with one laden canoe when st pierre found that Francois had gone he claimed damages for the intrusion on his monopoly and secured an order to pursue Francois and bring him back he caught him at michilimackinac the meeting between the two men at that place involved explanations face to face with an injured man st pierre admitted that he had been in the wrong paid to Francois many compliments and regretted that he had not joined hands with the brothers the mischief done was however irreparable francois crippled by opposition could not carry on his trade with success and in the end he returned to montreal a ruined man overwhelmed with debt he wrote to the french court a noble appeal for relief i remain without friends and without patrimony a simple ensign of the second grade my elder brother has only the same rank as myself my younger brother is only a junior cadet this is the result of all that my father my brothers and myself have done there are in the hands of your lordship resources of compensation and of consolation i venture to appeal to you for relief to find ourselves excluded from the west would mean to be cruelly robbed of our heritage to realize for ourselves all that is bitter and to see others secure all that is sweet the appeal fell on deaf ears the brothers sank into obscurity during Montcalm's campaigns from seventeen fifty six to seventeen fifty nine pierre and francois seemed to have been engaged in military service francois was killed in the siege of quebec in seventeen fifty nine after the final surrender of canada the auguste a ship laden for the most part with refugees returning to france was wrecked on the st lawrence among those on board who perished was pierre de la barondrie he died amid the howling of the tempest and the cries of drowning men tragedy unrelenting had pursued him to the end le jardure de saint-pierre the choice of the marquis de la jonquiere to take up the search for the western sea in succession to the elder la varrondrie himself went only as far as fort laurent it was a subordinate the chevalier de Nidaville, whom he sent farther west to find the great mountains and if possible the sea the winter of seventeen fifty to fifty one had set in before niverville was ready he started apparently from fort on snowshoes his party dragging their supplies on toboggans before they reached pascoya on the saskatchewan the modern la pas they had nearly perished of hunger and were able to save their lives only by catching a few fish through the ice Neverville was ill he sent forward ten men by canoe up the saskatchewan they traveled with such rapidity that on may twenty ninth seventeen fifty one they had reached the rockies they built a good fort which they named fort la jonquire and stored it with a considerable quantity of provisions if as seems likely the brothers la Vrendrye saw only the black hills these ten unknown men were the discoverers of the rocky mountains st pierre braced himself to set out for the distant goal but he was easily discouraged Niverville, he said was ill the indians were at war among themselves some of them were plotting what st pierre calls treason to the french and their perfidy surpassed anything in his lifelong experience the hostile influence of the english he thought all-pervasive obviously these are excuses he did not like the task and he turned back as it was he tells a dramatic story of how indians crowded into fort laurent in a threatening manner and how he saved the fort and himself only by rushing to the magazine with a lighted torch knocking open a barrel of powder and threatening to blow up everything and everybody if the savages did not withdraw at once he was eager to leave the country in seventeen fifty two he handed over the command to st luc de la corne and in august of that year having experienced much wretchedness on his journeys he was safely back in montreal the founding of fort la jonquire was no doubt a great feat where the fort stood we do not know it may have been on the north saskatchewan near edmonton or on the south branch of the river near calgary in any case it was a far-flung outpost of france the english had always been more prosaic than the french the traders on hudson bay worked indeed under a monopoly not less rigorous than that which canada imposed without doubt many an englishman on the bay was haunted by the hope and desire to reach the western sea but the servants of the company knew that to buy and sell at a profit was their chief aim they had been on the whole content to wait for trade to come to them by seventeen forty the indians who made the long journey to the bay by the intricate waters which carried to the sea the flood of the saskatchewan and lake winnipeg were showing to the english articles supplied by the french at points far inland it thus became evident that the french were tapping the traffic in furs near its source and cutting off the stream which had long flowed to hudson bay in june seventeen fifty four anthony henry a young man in the service of the company left york factory on hudson bay to find out what the french were doing we have a slight but carefully written diary of henry's journey he does not fail to note that in the summer weather life was made almost intolerable by the mosquitoes traveling by canoe he reached the saskatchewan river and tells how on the twenty second of july he came to a french house it was fort pascoya when henry paddled up to the river bank two frenchmen met him and in a very genteel manner invited him into their house with all courtesy they asked him he says if he had any letter from his master and where and on what design he was going inland his answer was that he had been sent to view the country and that he intended to return to hudson bay in the spring the frenchmen were sorry that their own master who was apparently the well-known canadian leader saint-luc de la corne the successor of st pierre had gone to montreal with furs and added their regrets that they must detain hendry until this leader's return at this hendry's indians grunted and said that the french dared not do so next day hendry took breakfast and dinner at the fort gave two feet of tobacco at that time it was sold in long coils to his hosts and in return received some moose flesh the confidence of his indian guides that the french would not dare to detain him was justified next day hendry paddled on up the river and advanced more than twenty miles camping at night by the largest birch trees i have yet seen hendry wished to see the country thoroughly and to come into touch with the natives the best way to do this and to obtain food was to leave the river and go boldly overland he accordingly left his canoes behind and advanced on foot the party was starving on a sunday in july he walked twenty-six miles and says neither bird nor beast to be seen so that we have nothing to eat the next day he travelled twenty-four miles on an empty stomach and then to his delight found a supply of ripe strawberries the size of black currants and the finest i ever eat the next day his indians killed two moose he then met natives who when he asked them to go to hudson bay to trade replied that they could obtain all they needed from the french posts the tact and skill of the french were such that as henry admits reluctantly enough the indians were already strongly attached to them day after day henry journeyed on over the rolling prairie in the warm summer days he came to the south branch of the saskatchewan near the point where now stands the city of and crossed the river on the twenty first of august then on to the west eager to take part in the hunting of the buffalo hendry is almost certainly the first englishman to see this region in the end he reached the mountains he makes no mention of having seen or heard anything of fort la Genquire, built three years earlier he had aims different from those of la Varandria and other french explorers not the western sea but openings for trade was he seeking his great aim was to reach the tribe called later the blackfeet indians who were mighty hunters of the buffalo henry was alive to the impressions of nature the intense heat of august was followed in september by glorious weather with the nights cool and the mosquitoes no longer troublesome the climate was bracing he complains only from time to time of swollen feet and we did not wonder since his daily march occasionally went beyond twenty-five miles sometimes for days he saw no living creature at other times wild life was prolific there were moose in great abundance bears including the dreaded grizzly one of which killed an indian of his company and badly mutilated another beaver wild horses and above all the buffalo saw many herds of buffalo grazing like english cattle he says on the thirteenth of september and the next day goes buffalo hunting guns and ammunition were costly his indians who used only bows and arrows on this day killed seven fine sport says henry often the indians took only the tongue leaving the carcass for the wolves who naturally abounded in such advantageous conditions it is not easy now to imagine the part played by the buffalo in the life of the prairie as henry advanced the herds were so dense as sometimes to retard his progress other writers tell of the vast numbers of these creatures alexander henry the younger writing on april one eighteen o one says that in a river swollen by spring floods ground buffalo floated past his camp in one continuous line for two days and two nights in prairie fires thousands were blinded and would go tumbling down banks into streams or lie down to die one morning the bellowing of buffaloes awakened henry and he looked out to see the prairie black the ground was covered at every point of the compass as far as the eye could reach and every animal was in motion daily as henry advanced he saw smoke in the distance and his indians told him that it came from the camp of the blackfeet he reached them on monday the fourteenth of october when four miles away he was stopped by mounted scouts who asked whether he came as a friend or as an enemy he was taken to the camp of two hundred tents pitched in two rows and was led through the long passage between the tents to the big tent of the chief of whom he had heard much not a word was spoken the chief sat on a white buffalo skin pipes were passed round and each person was presented with boiled buffalo flesh when talk began hendry told the chief that his great leader had sent him to invite them to come to trade at hudson bay where his people would get powder shot guns cloth beads and other things the chief said it was far away and his people knew nothing of paddling such strangers to great waters were they that they would not even eat fish they despised hendry's tobacco what they smoked was dried horse-dung in the end hendry was dismissed and ordered to make his camp a quarter of a mile away from that of the blackfeet it was close by the present site of calgary and apparently in full view on clear days of the white peaks of the rocky mountains that hendry visited the blackfeet he lingered in the far western country through the greater part of the winter on a portion of his return journey he used a horse when the spring thaw came once more he took to the water in canoes he complains of the idleness of his indian companions who would remain in their huts all day and never stir to lay up a store of food even when game was abundant conjuring dancing to the hideous pounding of drums feasting and smoking were their amusements on his way back henry revisited the french post on the saskatchewan the leader no doubt saint-luc de la corne had returned from montreal and now had with him nine men the master says Hendry invited me in to sup with him and was very kind he is dressed very genteel he showed henry his stock of furs a brave parcel the admiring rival thought henry admits the superiority of the french as traders. they talk several languages to perfection they have the advantage of us in every shape in the west as in the east france was recognized as a formidable rival of england for the mastery of north america when henry was making his peaceful visit to the french fort in seventeen fifty five the crisis of the struggle had just been reached in that year the battle line from acadia to the ohio and the mississippi was already forming and the fate of france's eager efforts to hold the west was soon to be decided in the east if britain should conquer on the st lawrence she would conquer also on the saskatchewan and on the mississippi conquer she did and thus it happened that it was britain's sons who took up the later burdens of the discoverer in the summer of seventeen eighty nine just at the time when the great revolution was beginning in france alexander mackenzie a scotch trader from montreal starting from lake athabasca north of the farthest point reached by hendry was pressing still onward into an unknown region to find a river which might lead to the sea this river he found we know it now as the mackenzie for two weeks he and his indians and voyageurs paddled with the current down this mighty stream and on july fourteenth seventeen eighty nine the day of the fall of the bastille he saw whales spouting in arctic waters the real goal which mackenzie sought was that of berondria a western and not a northern ocean three years later after months of preparation he attempted the great feat of crossing the rocky mountains to the sea after nine months of rugged travel across mountain streams and gorges in peril daily from hostile savages on july twenty two seventeen ninety three he reached the shore of the pacific ocean the first white man to go by land over the width of the continent from sea to sea it was thus a scotchman who achieved that of which la barondrie had so long dreamed and with no aid from the state but with only the resources of a trading company ten years later when france sold to the united states her last remaining territory of louisiana the american government equipped an expedition under lewis and clark to cross the rocky mountains by way of the missouri the route from which the la brothers had been obliged to turn back the party began the ascent of the missouri on may fourteenth eighteen o four and arrived in the mandan country in the late autumn here they spent the winter of eighteen o fourteen o five not until november fifteenth, eighteen oh five had they completed the hard journey across the Rocky Mountains and reached the mouth of the Columbia River on the Pacific Ocean. Little did La Varendria, in his eager search for the western sea, imagine the difficulties to be encountered and the hardships to be endured by those who were destined in later days to realize his dream. End of chapter five Part two